today, April 11th, 2023, and it is one of the biggest Grand Worlds in history. I know I keep saying that, but folks, the last couple months has given us the gift that keeps on giving in the sports world. Today, going to be diving into the NBA playoffs because, as we know, the playoffs are coming right around the corner. And I'm going to give you my top 10 current NBA players. And, of course, all of these players are in the postseason. As well as at the end of today's show, I'm going to be introducing a new segment. And that segment is known as Brandon's Fundamentals. Now, we all know, as I have said over and over over the last few years on this podcast, the world has changed. It's no longer the mid-2000s. It's no longer the 2010s. It is the 2020s. And so the way you win in sports, I believe, has also changed. And so for the National Football League, for the NBA, for Major League Baseball, I am going to be giving you my perception on what I think you need as a team, as an organization, to win championships in today's day and age in sports. That will be at the end of the show. But if you're watching on YouTube, which, by the way, you can check us out, subscribe to the Friends Wars YouTube channel. You can also check us out on Spotify for podcasters, which is formerly known as Anchor, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon Music. Of course, we are in collaboration with Voltage Live and sponsored by Spotify for podcasters. But if you are watching on the Brandon's World YouTube channel, you will see I have a different background behind me for this segment because we're going to be talking some NFL draft. Now, I have not done a lot of draft coverage. As we know, the draft is about three weeks away. Uh, there's a lot of interesting things in terms of the draft. Now, those of you that have followed the show a lot know that I do not do mock drafts a ton. I may, if I have time, which I'm planning to do so this year, do one mock draft where I go through the first round. I don't do all those seven-round mocks. I may do a Browns or an Eagles, which you guys know are my teams. Obviously, Browns, hometown team, Eagles have been my favorite team ever since I was five years old. For those of you that think I'm a bandwagon fan, I am from Cleveland, Ohio. Those of you that watch the podcast or listen to it know this. Um, but nonetheless, you know, I don't do a ton of my drafts, but I wanted to give you sort of my thoughts on the first few picks and of the quarterbacks in this year's draft because I haven't really dove into it. Uh, we talked a lot from the Bears' perspective of the Bears trading away the number one overall pick, obviously getting DJ Moore and a bunch of draft capital back to help support Justin Fields, and I've talked about this a lot, how I believe that quarterbacks nowadays need support, they need weapons, they need an offensive coach, I feel like I've talked ad nauseum about that, and that's a little preview for Brandon's fundamentals at the end of the show, but there is a lot of speculation on what Carolina will do with the number one overall pick, we all know it's going to be a quarterback, the question is, will it be Bryce Young, the smaller, sort of less than six foot tall, less than ideal prototype quarterback who's got extreme talent uh, out of Alabama? Will it be the prototypical Justin Herbert, look like 6'3", 6'4", big, strong kid? 
uh, C.J. Shroud out of Ohio State, where we have not seen a ton of success out of Ohio State quarterbacks in the past. Will it be Anthony or, or Will Levis, excuse me, out of Kentucky, or will it be Anthony Richardson out of Florida, who has a lot of comparisons with Cam Newton and Josh Allen, but he has seen as raw. We're a lot like Trey Lance, and we're seeing now San Francisco might have made a mistake with Trey Lance. Obviously, Anthony Richardson did not have a lot of snaps in college. Big arm talent, but will it translate to the NFL like Josh Allen, or will he be a Jamarcus Russell-type prospect? Uh, Carolina, I do like the fact they have an offensive coach in Frank Reich. I thought it was an absolute hire. Yes, Steve Wilkes did a good job as the interim head coach, or they fired Matt Rule. But again, you have to go progressively leading offense. In 2023, Frank Reich was wrongfully fired as the Indianapolis Colts head coach. I like the fact that he gets a chance to select his quarterback. If I had a guess, you know, you look at the quarterbacks Frank Reich has worked with throughout his career, whether it's been Carson Wentz, Phillip Rivers, uh, Nick Foles, uh, obviously, Jacoby Brissett. He has worked with a lot of taller-ish quarterbacks. He has not worked a lot, if at all, with smaller-ish quarterbacks, which is why Carolina is probably going to take the prototypical C.J. Stroud. And there is this thought out there that Bryce Young may be too small for the NFL game and that you should take a small quarterback, specifically with the number one overall pick. However, we did see Cleveland do it with Baker Mayfield, who has proven himself to be, at best, a fill-in starter for a couple of games, a very high-quality backup in this league, though not a franchise-altering quarterback like some Cleveland Browns fans still think he is. Um, Again, I, as you guys know, I would, I would have put Josh Allen in that draft. I thought he, he had the highest ceiling. I do really like two quarterbacks in this draft. There's one out of Tennessee, uh, Hooker, who is supposedly going to go in the second or third round. And I really like his upside. I think with the right coaching and the right talent, a lot like Jalen Hurts, where he went to Philadelphia, obviously transferred from Alabama to Oklahoma. I think Hooker could be the steal of this draft at the quarterback position. But with the number one overall pick, if I was the Carolina Panthers, I would personally select Bryce Young if I was drafting because I think he does have the highest upside. I think he was the best uh, quarterback in college football the last couple of years. And the fact that C.J. Stroud, out of all of these quarterbacks, had the receivers with the most separation. I thought C.J. Stroud played a great game against Georgia in the semifinal. That was the first legit team I think he's played and done well in. Obviously, played against Michigan the last couple of years really struggled in those games. But I'm always worried with the schools like Alabama and Ohio State that have such big separation at wide receiver, how that translates to the NFL, specifically with Carolina now, who does not have DJ Moore anymore. Now, they did make a couple of nice additions, uh, broad in the tight end position, so they're giving you some weapons, uh, though not the weapon of caliber of DJ Moore. But I think Bryce Young... Just the fact that Bryce can run a little bit more than C.J. Stroud, he can do more zone read, more RPOs. Uh, he's a little bit more athletic, I would say, than Stroud, and he made some big-time throws. And we've seen, you know, Russell Wilson when he was in Seattle, uh, Jalen Ertz, Drew Brees, obviously. Listen, J Justin Fields, they say he's 6'3". He does not look 6'3 to me. 
And so we're seeing these guys that are maybe a little bit smaller that can run around do production in the National Football League if done right. Uh, and I think Bryce Young is going to be a home run in the National Football League if he stays healthy, which is why I rank these guys as sort of Bryce Young, C.J. Shroud, Anthony Richardson, who I would put over C.J. Shroud. Though, again, the wag of tape does concern me a little bit. I think he is a project. Um, you know, if Vegas wants to even take him, you know, at seven, uh, or Indianapolis wants to take him at four. Um, I think that that could be a possibility, though. I think he really does need to sit for a couple of years. A lot like Josh Allen needed to sit for a little bit. Patrick Mahomes needed to sit for a year. And then you can see that kind of blossom. Will Levis, I did not see anything special out of Kentucky. A lot like Josh Rosen uh, in that 2018 draft. I think Will Levis is going to be the bust of this year's quarterback class. I just, I don't like him. I didn't like Zach Wilson. Uh, he reminds me a lot of Zach Wilson. A, a little quirky, a little small, not taking the game seriously. Uh, and so I think that Will Levis, wherever he goes, which again could potentially also be in the top five, I don't think that team is going to be successful. Now, if uh, Carolina does end up taking C.J. Shroud, there are reports out there that Houston may get... Um, Anderson, the 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 edge, Will Anderson, the edge out of Alabama. Though I think that's a lot of smoke screen. I think they would end up taking another Alabama prospect, that being Bryce Young. And then it's a battle between Indianapolis, you know, Vegas, who knows, maybe Seattle, even with Geno that they re-signed. Are they still on the quarterback market? Do they go out and they get Anthony Richardson, who I think would be a good landing spot for him sitting behind Geno Smith? We obviously just talked about Vegas and Jimmy Garoppolo. The Lamar Jackson situation is still on the table. So, listen, if I was a team in the top five, I already mentioned it, I would not take Will Levis. If I was a quarterback-needy team, I would take a chance on Anthony Richardson. If I had a veteran quarterback that I could trust, Carolina's in a different situation because they need to win now. Andy Doan's not a veteran I could trust. But Jimmy Garoppolo and Geno Smith are veterans that I can trust to start for the whole season. I'm not giving Andy Dalton the keys to the car uh, like the New Orleans Saints did last year. And they found out real quick they needed to upgrade their quarterback position. They went out and they ended up getting Derek Carr, obviously. Now, there's two kids next year. Obviously, the kid, uh, Caleb Williams, out of USC. And then there's also a kid... Uh, out of North Carolina, who's going to be really special. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, if a team like the Jets, if they don't get Aaron Rodgers, if Baltimore, or even if Indianapolis, if they aren't in love with Will Levis, or excuse me, yeah, Will Levis or Anthony Richardson, if they pass on a quarterback this year in terms of going the route next year. I think their new head coach, Shane Steichen, uh, is going to be a phenomenal coach. We saw the work he did with Justin Herbert and Jalen Hurts over the last three seasons. Herbert is rookie year and Jalen Hurts the last two, uh, making Jalen Hurts one of the best quarterbacks currently in the National Football League. So I trust Shane Steichen's judgment. I don't know if he's going to like Will Levis that much. I have a feeling they may like Anthony Richardson, but they have no plausible option behind them. So 
It's going to be really interesting to see. Again, I rate them as I think Bryce Young is going to be a phenomenal special talent uh, in this year's NFL draft. I think he's a best prospect as long as he stays healthy. I think C.J. Shroud has real potential, though I don't rank him um, above Bryce Young. I think he's going to be really good, though, out of this class. I think Anthony Richardson has a real chance to be a game-changing talent if brought into the right system. Same thing, though, really, with Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. I think Will Levis is going to be your boss, and then Aiden Hooker, I think, could be potentially the real sort of second, third-round guy that we see one or two guys every year come out and pop. I think he's that guy, again, a lot like Anthony Richardson, very similar in terms of talent, skill set. They just have to get to the right system. Uh, and again, quarterback play has never been easier in this league. Uh, I believe if you have good coaching, if you have good weapons, if you have a good organization around you, really quarterback play can succeed because the rules favor the offense. So there was certainly a lot of talent. Uh, there's some good defensive talent in this draft as well. We know about Jalen Carter and his issues. It'll be really interesting to see what Arizona decides to do with three, whether they go after Will Will Anderson, uh, Detroit potentially. Then there's the corner, Gonzalez at Oregon, who's really long and lengthy. There could be some teams looking to trade up for these defensive players. Uh, who think that they may need a pass rusher or a corner away from maybe going from a fringe playoff team to a perennial playoff team or even a Super Bowl contender. Uh, Howie Roseman, the NFC champion, Philadelphia Eagles, even have the 10th pick in the draft. So there's a lot happening. There's a lot going on uh, in terms of the NFL draft, and I'm excited to see how things shake out three in three weeks, and we will have a mock draft beforehand. It is time. Now, at the time of this recording, which I'm doing uh, on Good Friday, April 7th, two days before Easter, the NBA uh, regular season has not come to conclusion. There are still one or two teams in the West that need to finalize their seeding for the play-in tournament, which is why I'm not necessarily calling this uh, the best players in the playoffs, but more my ranking of the best players in the NBA. I haven't done this in a while, and... Trigger warning for those of you that like certain players who, I'm sorry, are just not that good. They're not top five worthy. Uh, this is going to be potentially a trigger moment. This is not a clickbait video. This is not for me giving, you know, bad takes just to give bad takes. This is my real true feeling on the current opt-in players in today's NBA. And when we specifically look at the postseason, right? Do I trust these guys to deliver in the clutch moment? Because I don't care if you put up 52 points or 70 points or whatever it is in the regular season. The fact of the matter is scoring is up because nobody's playing defense in the regular season. And the NBA, a lot like the NFL, seems to be transitioning to the offensive side of the ball. And the smart teams and the good teams get it. I do think, by the way, it's really interesting as we get into this year's postseason that I don't think we have a lot of great coaches. Uh, you know, Mike Malone has never made it to the finals in Denver. You have Coach Bud, even though he's won a championship with Milwaukee, meltdown multiple times. The Celtics have a new young coach that has never coached a playoff series. 
J.P. Bickerstaff can blow the roof off you in, with some of his coaching decisions uh, in Cleveland. We know Doc Rivers is choking history, not only with the Sixers, but the Clippers, Celtics, and other places. We know Tom Thibodeau's history of riding players down. And, of course, he's the current head coach of the Knicks. You know, uh, Memphis, Taylor Jenkins, we've never really seen him in a close, tough playoff series. The Lakers have a new head coach in Darvin Ham. So, you know, Monty Williams, uh, Steve Kirk, Iron Lou, Eric Spolstra, those are some of your quote-unquote blue blood coaches this year in the NBA playoffs, and most of those teams have lower seats. So it'll be really interesting to see how things work out. But again, this is not a clickbait video slash portion of the podcast. This is my true top 10 players in the NBA currently. We're going to go ahead, we're going to turn on that NBA music, and we're going to go backwards here from 10 to 1. And kicking things off with number 10, I believe, is... Luka Dantich. Now, I know what you're thinking. Brandon, how is Luka Dantich not in the top five? I'm already getting triggered. Listen, Luka, over the past few weeks and really months, uh, has turned me off with his content bitching at the referees. And the fact of the matter is, Luka Dantich in his career has never made it in the NBA Finals. He made one Western Conference Finals, and in that Western Conference Finals, he melted down. And if it wasn't for uh, Spencer Dinwiddie and Jalen Brunson and some of those other pieces, I'm not sure that they beat the Suns last year in that Game 7, because Luka didn't do a lot, quite frankly. Listen, Luka puts up 40 points a night, whatever it is. Uh, he's spectacular to watch. He's stats, the stat sheet, uh, but he needs to perform better in the postseason, and I don't trust him yet, which is why I have him at number 10, and what does Luka even more to me is him and Kyrie Irving have not worked. Now, I had called that, go back and watch when we talked to the NBA trade deadline, I said Luka and Kyrie do not make the Mavericks title contenders, they barely make them playoff contenders. Uh, and at this time of the recording, they are not in the playing tournament. They have to win one more game to get into that playing tournament. And so I know there's been a lot of issues. Luka's been out. Kyrie's been dealing with stuff. But Luka and Kyrie have not performed well. They melted down late against the Suns a couple weeks ago. And that, to me, is on Luka Doncic, who is getting really annoying with this constant complaining at the referees. You're not going to get those calls in the postseason. Just go out and play. Now, number nine. I already know this is going to trigger a lot of people because people think he's the MVP and think he should win it for the third straight year. That is Nikola Jokic. Listen, out of the eight players I have above Nikola Jokic, I would absolutely take each and every one of them in a playoff series over Jokic. I don't care if he's got the triple doubles. I don't care if he puts up 30 and it's 10 every night. I don't care if the Nuggets are the number one seed. I've said it all year long. I don't believe in the Denver Nuggets. 
because Jokic is good. He's not great. He's a terrible defender. He got body bagged by Joel Embiid when they played in Philadelphia earlier this season, and he can't jump off the floor. And by the way, he's made it to one Western Conference Finals, and that was in the bubble when Anthony Davis and LeBron absolutely destroyed the, the Denver Nuggets team. He's got beat by a bad Portland team with Damian Lillard and CJ McCall in a game seven, which was very ugly. And the fact of the matter is last year as a sixth seed with the MVP. Think about that. They were a sixth seed and they had the MVP, which means he really was not that great. Uh, against Golden State, Mike Malone took the MVP, quote-unquote, off the floor in Game 4 after they got swept by Golden State because they kept switching Yogi John Curry and Jokic could not guard Steph Curry. He's not a top-five player. He is barely in my top 10 here at number 9, and I don't think he should win the MVP for the third straight year. You have to prove it to me this year in the postseason. If Jokic puts up big numbers then yes, I can move him into that category. And by the way, FYI, I was like this on Giannis until he won the 2021 NBA championship with the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, number eight, I have John Moran. Now, John Moran, to me, despite his personal problems with the Memphis Grizzlies, we know he went away for about a month. The dude is one of the most special talents in the NBA. He can pass. He can shoot. He can rebound. Uh, and you get other difference when he's in there versus when the Grizzlies were not in there. They are a different team, which is a sign to me of a really valuable player. John Morant, as insane athleticism, he reminds me a lot of Derrick Rose. Uh, he can be that guy on occasional nights. I've seen him do it more, more than Nikola Jokic. He has guts. He has stones. He is one of the most fun players to watch. In today's NBA, I'd rather watch him uh, over guys like Evan Durant, Kawhi Leonard, Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, a lot of these players. I think John Moran, you can make a case as easily a top three watch today in the NBA, besides maybe Giannis and Bead and LeBron, and possibly Steph in there as well, uh, which is why I have John Moran at number eight. Now, number seven, I've got to watch this guy close and personal for the first time this year. He is on my Cleveland Cavaliers, that guy being Donovan Mitchell. If it wasn't for Donovan Mitchell, uh, the Cavaliers would be nowhere near as good as they were last season. Of course, the Cavs shocked the world last year when they dominated for the All-Star break, and then they fell apart due to injuries. This year, our president of basketball operations, Kobe Oman, went out, made that big trade, traded away Lori Markman, traded away Colin Sexton, traded away OG Abaji to get the missing piece in Donovan Mitchell. Well, the Cavs have been very frustrating this season, and I mentioned a lot, you know, on this show with interviews, and as I just said before starting this segment, J.B. Bickerstaff and his coaching can drive me nuts. Uh, the Cavs are not consistent. They do not have a, a, a reliable wing. Besides, you know, Isaac Okoro playing defense, Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell, they seem very ball-centric. But if it wasn't for Donovan Mitchell, who... Yeah, Obviously, before missing Thursday night's game against Orlando, was the first player this season to have four straight 40-point games. He has another 70-piece in there this year. I believe he also has uh, other 40 and 50 pieces. Donovan Mitchell has been special. 
Uh, and I didn't realize, obviously, with Utah being on the West Coast, it's harder to watch jazz games, you know, outside of the postseason every single night. But I didn't realize how special Donovan Mitchell is. The Cavs currently sit at 51 wins. They had 44 last year. And Donovan Mitchell was certainly worth all plus seven of those victories and potentially even more because there were nights that East saved the Cavs last, or excuse me, this season. Now I still need to see it uh, in the postseason. And if he has a spectacular postseason, the Cavs advance further you know, the Eastern Conference Finals or the NBA Finals, then we all expect we might have to raise Donovan Mitchell to that number six or number five position. Number six, I have the one and only guy who almost never plays, yet when he does play is so spectacular, Kawhi Leonard. If you can make an argument again, when he does play next to Giannis, he is the best two-way player in basketball. The only question about Kawhi Leonard is is out because the Clippers are a different team with him than without him. He does not speak. He drives an old car. He uses a flip phone. He is literally a robot. But his mid-range jumper is absolute killer. And wherever he goes, he wins. He won with the Spurs. He went to Toronto for a year. People forget that and won the freaking championship. Uh, nonetheless, on a lucky bounce against Joel Embiid, or I believe Philadelphia would have beat Golden State that year and won the championship and got away a little bit because Kevin Durant tore his Achilles. But Kawhi Leonard did win in Toronto. We've seen when he is playing for the Clippers, the Clippers are a different, formidable team. Now, they made it to the Western Conference a couple years ago with led by Paul George and Terrence Mann and Reggie Jackson and that team that was very well coached by Teron Liu. If they have Kawhi Leonard, they might have beat the Phoenix Suns in that Western Conference Finals if Kawhi plays. Now, the problem is the Clippers are going to face the Suns in the first round, which is a bad draw for them. Uh, but if they were to play anybody else, they would advance. And people, to me, would be sleeping on the Clippers. The issue is, again, they have to deal with the Phoenix Suns in round one. Speaking of the Suns, my number five player is the one and only Kevin Durant. Again, when healthy, he is one of the best talents in the NBA. We all know his skill set. There's no denying it. Uh, now, I do have four players above KD, where a couple years ago, I would have KD at number two. Uh, and that's just because of some of the accomplishments of these guys and how dominant they are. And the fact Durant has been a little bit injury-prone throughout his career. Durant plays a little bit more than Kawhi Leonard. He's a little bit of a better shooter than Kawhi Leonard, and he's more lengthy than Kawhi, which is why I put him at number five, and the fact that he did win those two championships for Golden State in 2017 and 2018 edges him out a little bit, I believe, over Kawhi, though it is very, very close. Number four. Number four, I have Steph Curry. I think Steph Curry today is still better than Durant. I think he's still better than Kawhi. I think he's still better than Donovan Mitchell. I think he's still better than John Moran. I think he's still better than Nikola Jokic, and I think he is still better than Luka Dantage. Uh, I think Steph is, again, maybe top two, top three watching the NBA. Steph sometimes has choked a little bit in playoff series, specifically in big moments in NBA Finals games. But last year, 
boy, did he have a legacy-defining game four when Boston was up two to one. He went into Boston. He won that game with a 40 bomb when nobody was getting anything going for Golden State. Seth Curry proved his word to me last year for the Warriors when he was the reason why they won that championship alongside Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. It really was his team, right? It wasn't Andre Iguodala. It wasn't melting down a 3-1 lead against LeBron. It wasn't with KD. This was Steph's team, and Golden State is still a very dangerous team, even though they struggled on the road this year. Jordan Poole is good. Clay Thompson is good. Draymond bothers people on the defensive end. But this team runs through Steph Curry. He was still to me, undoubtedly, if you put him in a draft, a top four pick. Number three, this may be controversial that I have him this high, but I'm going to take LeBron Raymond James. Does anybody understand that in year 19, LeBron is putting up numbers that we've ever seen. He just played one of his best outs of basketball against the Clippers the other night, even though it was in a loss. And LeBron is one of the single-handed reasons why the Lakers, outside of them getting rid of that bum Russell Westbrook to the Clippers at the trade deadline, why the Lakers are even in playoff contention. The team is still not that great when LeBron is not on the court. And LeBron cannot give you 82 games anymore. But LeBron occasionally can still play great defense. He's not going to sit in the chair for 48 minutes. But at 38 years old, you're going to tell me that you would rather take Steph Curry or KD or Luka Dantage or Kawhi Leonard or even Jokic over LeBron? I'm sorry. LeBron's still the best passer in basketball. He's still the best driver in basketball. He can still get whatever he wants at the rim. And when it comes to clutch and leadership and having the man on your team, if the Lakers had a better record, LeBron would be in the MVP conversation. His numbers have never dropped off, which is a true testament to LeBron James's greatness. Number two, I mean, this man is just absolutely dominant. Should be the MVP this year. Joel Embiid. What can he not do? Pass, shoot, assist, rebound, jump. I mean, just better than Nikola Jokic and basically everything. You could say Jokic is a better passer. I'm sorry, Embiid is way more athletic. Embiid can pass, and you can run your team through Joel Embiid. It has not been Joel Embiid's fault that Doc Rivers and Ben Simmons and all these other guys that Sixers have had had melted down in the playoffs. Now, Embiid is injury-prone. He does get sick a lot. He has missed playoff games, which is my knock on Embiid. But if he stays healthy, if he stays healthy, he is right up there to me with Giannis Antetokounmpo as the best player in the NBA, which I think undoubtedly you have to rank Giannis right now as the best player in the NBA. He's not that great of a shooter, but he's just dominant, bullies his way into the lane, can shoot him when he has to, just takes over games with his long stride, does everything. Reminds you of a little bit taller LeBron James in his prime with the Cavs the first time around in the Miami Heat. Giannis, to me, is the best player currently in the NBA. So again, my list. Number 10, Luka Doncic. Number 9, Nikola Jokic. Number 8, John Moran. Number 7, Donovan Mitchell. Number 6, Kawhi Leonard. Number 5, Kevin Durant. Number 4, Steph Curry. Number three, LeBron. 
number two Embiid, and number one Giannis. Uh, I don't think that that is very controversial in my eyes. I know it's going to be very controversial to a lot of the public out there, but you tell me, would you take Jokic over uh, Donovan Mitchell, John Morant, Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, or LeBron? You can make an argument to me. Maybe John Moran, but the rest you really can't. I'm sorry. I'd be willing to move Jokic up to potentially eight and slide Luka into nine and put Ja at ten. I can hear that argument, but right now that's where I stand. There is no Jason Tatum on this list. He's not even the best player on his team. Jalen Brown to me would be somewhere between 12 and 13. Tatum again would be like 14 or 15 with Jimmy Butler and Trey Young somewhere in that 11 or 12 range. I'd probably put Jimmy Butler just because of his absolute playoff, just dynamiteness at number 11. Put Trey Young at 12, Jalen Brown 13, Jason Tatum 14 because when it comes down to it, Jalen Brown is the best player on the Celtics. And Celtics fans, you can say all you want and make your comments below. And we have made it. It is time for the Go Home segment on today's show. And that segment being Brandon's Fundamentals. So for this segment, I am going to go ahead and give you the things that every organization needs in the NFL the NBA, and Major League Baseball to successfully win championships in 2023. As I mentioned at the top of the show, the world has changed. This is not the 2000s anymore where, you know, it's all based on power hitting and running the football and playing good defense and having back-to-the-basket centers. This is not the 2010s anymore, though it was a little bit more modern. This is the 2020s now, and we know that certain formulas work to win in sports, and so I'm going to break down those formulas right here, right now. Let's go ahead and let's turn on some general sports background music and start off this segment with the National Football League. So the number one thing I believe in the NFL you need to win is the quarterback position. We saw it this year with the San Francisco 49ers. I don't care if you have the best offensive line, the best defensive line, the best weapons, yada, yada, yada. If you don't have that guy at the quarterback position, we've seen it time and time again. And I'm not just talking about an average quarterback. I'm talking about your Joe Burrows, your Jalen Ertz, your Josh Allen, your Patrick Mahomes, your Justin Herberts, your special, special quarterbacks. You can even throw Trevor Lawrence in that conversation, you need one of those guys to go out and win a Super Bowl. The only exception, obviously, be Nick Foles, who played like an elite talent uh, in those two games, the NFC Championship game and Super Bowl 52. I also believe you need a combination of a great offensive line. You need a great defensive line, and you need to surround the quarterback with weapons. Uh... Listen, having the quarterback is great, but if he has nobody to throw to, he can't succeed. If he has nobody to block him, he can't succeed. And you need someone to be able to take down the quarterback. The name of the game, as they always say, is you got to have a quarterback, and you got to be able to protect the quarterback, and you got to be able to bring down the quarterback. So winning in the trenches with that quarterback, but also giving the quarterback plenty of weapons, two to three wide receivers, a tight end or two, 
running backs that can pass and block out of the backfield as well as run the football. Give your quarterback every tool in the toolbox to be successful. What also helps with that is number three on my list, an offensive-minded staff. I have talked about this for the last probably year, year and a half. You look at the NFL right now. The most successful teams, and out of the 14 teams in the playoffs this year, 10 were offensive-minded coaches. Out of the eight that remained in the uh, divisional round, seven of them were offensive coaches. It is not a coincidence, folks. Defensive coaches, they think they can still play defense, run the ball, punt it, low scoring, and win games. That's not how it works. You see these modern, progressive offenses with these jet sweeps and the zone reads and the read options and making the defenses off balance and using the weapons that they have. Daniel Jones went from a bottom five quarterback this year to average, or some people even think above average, and got himself $40 million due to Brian Dable's offensive-minded coaching, going from a defensive head coach in Joe Judge to an offensive head coach in Brian Dable. That is no coincidence at all. It is the number one example why I believe you need to have an offensive-minded coach, or at the very least, if you're Buffalo, you think, well, we have a great leader in Sean McDermott. We saw the difference between Dable and Ken Dorsey as offensive coordinator. If you have a defensive-minded coach, you need to have a special offensive coordinator like Belichick added McDaniels. We saw what happened, obviously, when Mac Jones went from McDaniels to uh, Matt Patricia this past offseason. Now, nice to have. It's nice to have a good corner. It's nice to have a great art hitting safety. Uh, but it's not priority, but they're definitely nice to add so that you can stop those great receivers. I think you definitely need one good corner, though it's nice to have two. And obviously, we saw Philadelphia have two this past season make it to the Super Bowl, but then it didn't matter as much because of what Kansas City did on the offensive side of the ball in the Super Bowl. Number five, spread offense, I believe. Uh, 70% shotgun, three wide receiver sets. Don't get me wrong, I like going under center occasionally and running those bootlegs or doing a power dive or a power stretch. But you look at the great teams outside of San Francisco this year. You know, uh, the Giants, Philadelphia, as I mentioned, Dallas, Kansas City, Buffalo, Cincinnati. A lot of those offenses are run 70 to 75 if not more out of the shotgun because it gives you more room it gives the quarterback the ability to see the defense a lot more make changes and it gives you the opportunity to do those modern concepts of the zone read of the rpos of the jet sweeps that you can't do a lot of misdirection and things like that under center and I think it ambers a little bit of San Francisco because San Francisco wants to be a power running team and again there's so many little fakes and stuff you can do under center as opposed to the gun and number six again I think you need to be as minded that's why I was not a fan of San Francisco because they were run the ball first the Eagles led the league in rushing Baltimore before that led the league in rushing. 
these teams that won the league in rushing in 2021, 2020, 2022. The Browns have two great running backs in Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. You can win eight or nine games by running the football. But the best teams in the National Football League can throw the football and they throw it more than they run it. It's the old Bill Walsh, the West Coast system. You pass to set up the run. Pass early, run late. You do a lot of passing in the first half to the mid-third quarter. You know, mid-third quarter on, run the football, wear them down. Because if you can wear the pass rush out, you're going to be able to gas them for big games in the run game. Now, if your run game is working early, you can certainly continue to run and pass off that. Though I am always, at least as an offensive-minded guy, thinking pass first. So that was my NFL. Again, I think you need a quarterback, an offensive mind, defensive mind, and weapons combination, an offensive-minded staff. It is nice to have a corner or a hard-hitting safety. I think you should go spread offense in the shotgun with 11 personnel, three wide receiver sets, 70% of the time. And I want it to be a pass-heavy, pass-minded offense instead of a majority run-heavy offense. We saw what happened with Tennessee when people finally figured out, you know, they have no receivers and you can just stack the box against Derrick Henry. Let's get to the NBA. Now, in the NBA, I believe the first thing you need is four to five shooters in the starting lineup. The days of, oh, our power forward doesn't need to shoot. Oh, our center doesn't need to shoot. We can just go back to the basket. Those days are over. I prefer if all five of my guys can confidently knock down the three, though we've seen it work with four. Uh, but I think you need to have at least four to five shooters in the starting lineup. I also think you need great wing defenders. We know the majority of great players in this league. I just talked about, you know, my top 10 current NBA players, LeBron, Kawhi Leonard, uh, Evan Durant. You know, we know, uh, obviously, Luka Doncic, Giannis. We know the majority of these guys are like 6'6", big, 6'8", 6'9", wing great players. And so even guys like Jimmy Butler, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown are wings. And so that is why to me, if you don't have great wing defenders, you're not going to be able to win in this league. Number three is going to be guys that can get their own shot. If you only have one guy that can get their own shot on the floor, well, why can't I double team them and just leave the other guy open? I hope he can make a corner three. I mean, that's what we saw last year with multiple teams that are very guard-heavy. Teams that are guard-heavy often struggle because they rely on two scores and not a lot of movement inside. So again, it's okay if, if you potentially have, you know, good shooters, but you also need guys that can get their own shot and you're not running the offense through necessarily one person. If two or three guys can put the ball on the floor, dribble and get to the basket, that will just open up your offense. Number four, versatility and bench depth. We know the NBA is increasingly becoming a positionless league where guys that are 6'9 can play the center position. Guys that are 6'9 can also play the point guard position. So if I can mix and match lineups, so if I have, you know, an all-lineup of 6'8 guys or an all-lineup of 6'10 guys, I can also play the point guard position. That gives me a lot of room to toy around with certain uh, chemistry and rotations that work. And if you only have two or three guys coming off the bench, 
granted, we know that rotations do shorten in the postseason, but we know injuries also happen. So if you don't have that bench death, uh, you know, in the regular season, it's okay. You can win games. But in the postseason where it's more tough, it's physical. Fouls aren't getting called more. Your team is going to wear down, which is why you need a lot of versatility and you need a lot of bench depth to mix and match those lineups where keeping your stars in and you're keeping your playmaking in and you're keeping your scoring in without sacrificing when you go to that bench. And number five, it's nice to add, but again, not required, is coaching. Uh, we've seen, you know, bad coaches get to finals and get fired, but we've also seen the good coaches. Y y you know, like you see Kerr raise it from a Mark Jackson, a Tyron Lue raise it from a David Black, a Nick Nurse raise it from a Dwayne Casey. So when you get to the later round of the playoffs, it's why you're Steve Kerr's, why you're Tyron Lue's, why you're Eric Spolstra's, are sort of so successful uh, because they are the best coaches in the sport and they can dominate in a series, maybe not over a game or two like in the regular season. But once these smart veteran coaches figure you out, it's why it's really tough for the young teams and the young coaches to get by the first or the second round of the postseason. So in the NBA, in order to win, I think you need four or five shooters in the starting lineup. Great wing defenders, guys that can get their own shot, versatility and bench depth, and coaching. And now finally, in Major League Baseball, I think the number one thing you need is pitching. I think it still goes through pitching, whether it's both starter and bullpen. I think you need your starter to go five or six innings. I think you need your bullpen to go three to four innings. You can mix match lefty righty. I think you need a bullpen where you trust every single person in that lineup. We know the starters are not going to have their best night all the time, so we need a bullpen to back them up. Consequently, we need starters to 75 to 80% of the time carry the load because of the fact that we know our bullpen is not going to be sharp every single night. Baseball is still, even though scoring is up due to the pitch clock and the ship van, the bigger bases and all of that, baseball is still at art, a sport that, like no other almost, besides maybe hockey, right, where runs only count at one at a time, and it's not as easy as putting the ball in the basket like it is in the NBA. Like baseball, if you're hitting 300, I always say that's at 30%, uh, is you're going into the, into the Hall of Fame. So it just shows how hard it is to hit pitching. Uh, it's really a defensive-minded sport, oh, not a lot alike from the NBA and the NFL, which is slowly turning into offensive sports. And so because of that, you really need a good pitching staff and just hope that your lineup can get enough runs to get you over the edge. Speaking of lineup, a balanced lineup with hitting power and contact. It's not enough anymore to have all power hitters. It's not enough to have just contact hitters anymore. You need a good, versatile lineup where it's five lefties and four righties or vice versa. Or, you know, you have three and three and three switch hitters. Being able to change the lineup up and down and going based on matchups and doing, you know, a contact guy, a good hitter, a power hitter, then a good hitter, then a power hitter, then a contact hitter, then a power hitter, then a good hitter, then a contact hitter. You know, just giving every single different lineup and every different scenario you can to lengthen your lineup and trying to create not any weak spots in that scenario. And finally, in baseball, 
I think you do a lot of the NFL, but you need a veteran manager, a veteran coach that knows the ins and outs, does not get rattled in postseason series, knows when to take out the stars, knows when to make a pinch inning situation because baseball managing is so strategic and the difference between one run versus another run could be a big difference in deciding if you're going to win the game or not. So that is my Brandon's Fundamentals, the first ever Brandon's Fundamentals segment, where, again, I give you what you need to win in today's sports. NFL, obviously, we know it's a more offensive winning league. NBA is earning offensive, but you certainly need those great wing defenders. And in baseball, it's really all about having that balanced lineup with the great pitching and the veteran manager. Well, this was a jam-packed show with most of it being recorded uh, on Friday, April 7th, some of it being recorded on Saturday, April 8th with Michael Reiner. I hope you enjoyed this jam-packed show, and we will be back on Thursday breaking down everything in sports, including making my NBA predictions that the play tournament will be essentially almost over and the NBA playoffs start next week. So. I hope you enjoyed all of the NFL draft talk, all of the talk about my NBA tucked and players, as well as this Brandon's fundamental segment. We are in collaboration with Voltage Live, sponsored by Spotify for podcasters. You can be seen on Google Play, iTunes, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you guys next time. Peace.